Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to another uh, great episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for y'all like I normally do, uh, Jen Hope. Jen, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm excited to have this conversation. But before we get started, listeners, here's what uh, you need to know about Jen. Uh, She's an executive and leadership coach for Impactful Startup Leaders. Uh, with a background as a vice president of marketing for multiple high-growth startup companies, Jen understands the complexity of startup leadership. She uses evidence-based tools and frameworks to help clients make sustained behavior change. A mental health advocate, Jen is passionate about creating safe spaces for females and neurodivergent people in startup and corporate leadership. That is such important work. Uh, her client list includes DocuSign, Avalara, Neolucan, Tommy Boy X, Trupanion, and Qualtrics. Jen, that is an impressive uh, client list there, and I love the work that you're doing, and it makes me really excited to hear how you answer that first question where I start all my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what do they mean to you? Such a great question. I'm so glad you start this way. So responsible leadership to me is the work that we do as individuals to go through the required stages of adult development to become the integral leaders that we aspire to be. Mm, I like that. Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit more. So when you talk about that that adult development, what what are you focusing on there? Well, it's moving from our story uh, being narrated or driven by the external or by others, or our story and narrative and, and life being one of our own creation. And so going through that process of becoming what could be in early days, a, a, a more reactive leader and moving into the creative competencies, those core leadership skills that make us effective, compassionate, inspiring leaders. Yeah. No. And again, I love that piece there because, uh, you know, that that's one of the things. So when, when I talk, I talk about uh, these things called the shields of the phalanx. And uh, one of the first shields I always talk about is in introspection and improvement. And, and I like that you go there, too, because I think most people uh, who've never ran into somebody like you or I, uh, really kind of go through life not fully appreciating how their environment, how their past experiences, how the music they listen to, the shows they watch, how those things are affecting them, right? 
Yeah. And the systems that we're a part of, how we grew up, the systems that we're a part of today, um, the school systems that we were a part of and how those impact us in our thinking. Yeah, that that is uh, that is a big one. I've, I've recently over the past year or so really gotten uh, a lot more engaged in the world of education uh, myself there and, and had a lot of those discussions about responsible leadership in education. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, that's why another reason why I think teachers are highly underpaid, because the impact they have on, on us as children and what we become as as adults is like there's no price tag you can put on that. Right. Right. Exactly. So grateful for um, the teachers, especially now, especially over the last handful of years. The work that they've done is, um, you know, it's just beyond <laughs> truly. So with, with self-awareness, uh, you know, we're on the same page with how important that is. Um, what are some good ways that folks can become a little bit more self-aware? Like we, we a lot of us are aware of, say, Myers-Briggs and things like that. But what are some other tools that are out there that we can we can use to get to know ourselves just a little bit better? Yeah, I think there are a lot of quality tools um, in the leadership development space. Um, there's a handful of leadership assessments that I use in my practice that I find really helpful. A couple of them um, being tools like DISC or Leadership Circle, um, another great tool called Hogan that really helps us to understand a couple of things. One, our behavior. One, like that that part where we were talking about earlier, the, those reactive tendencies. And then other, like Hogan, for example, is really a reputation report. And so it's it helping us see those areas where our derailers can show up, helping us see where we're really some of our story, some of our behavior mindset is getting in our own way. And even through you know, through our behavior, who is this person? How might they respond day to day? How might they respond under stress? And, you know, this is based on, you know, a couple hundred years of studying human behavior and that there's a spectrum and that we all have likely behaviors um, in our day to day and, and that we can improve or adapt to be the most effective based on who we're engaged with. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those uh, for a second here. Like, cause uh, I've never heard of, of Hogan. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. So what, what is that? And, and why, why is it a value to folks? So something like Hogan um, is an interesting tool and in that it helps us understand uh, some deeper understanding about our core values. So those are things that we might see show up in our leadership style. They're the underlying motivators for how we make decision. Um, it also helps us understand our day-to-day, what they call reputation. And there's, um, you know, like all tools, right? It, it has great strength and is an asset. And like all tools, I think has limitations because this is only a snapshot in time. And so at this moment, this is who we likely are and these are our likely strengths. Um, it also has tools like like derailers. It helps us understand like where are some of those areas where we may have great strength, but may overdo in stress. So we may be, you know, quite confident, quite passionate. If we overdo, we can cross the line into bold. <laughs> and what does that look like? What does bold look like when we are, um, you know, hitting a point where we're, um, you know, uncoachable or unreasonable. Well, uh, that last piece is so important, right? Because there, there's a, there's such a fine line between, you know, confidence and arrogance and, and, 
what we believe our abilities are and what they actually are and all that. And it sounds like this kind of helps, uh, kind of helps you maybe not cross that line a little bit, right? Yeah. And to build awareness. I think, you know, you and I have this same passion around self-awareness. And what it does is it helps us to shine a light on there even being a spectrum of behavior where, you know, it can really help folks to understand, for example, if um, tradition is a value to them, and that would be, um, you know, something where we did things in a, in a principled way. It's always been this way. Let's always do it that way. And that there are others who are on their team who may really value progress or autonomy, maybe the idea of doing it a new way and letting things evolve. And so to understand that we may not all have the same values, the same motivators really helps. Like if you're a 98 on tradition, there could be somebody on your team who's a two. What does that look like? (laughs) Right. And how do those show up? Same thing can happen with DISC. Right. Disc is a great tool for understanding behavior. And on one end of a, on a, of a spectrum, you may be a very independent, um, more, uh, you know, aggressive problem solver. At the other end of the spectrum, you may be a highly uh, collaborative, um, individual all the way down to like unassertive. And what does that look like on a spectrum with those two folks sitting across the table from one another? It's really, really helpful to have that insight about yourself. And then start to make adjustments for the folks around you creates great connection um, on teams when we can be aware of, first of all, ourselves. And then if we have even the greater insight of knowing the folks around us, how do we then engage one another? Yeah. And, and you you are 100 percent right. Like, you know, we were talking in our, our pre-recording work up there. I've taken the disc profile uh, and I love that assessment. I love the way it, it asks the questions. And I love the fact that it gives you kind of like the the two readings, the uh, the, the adjusted. I'm, I'm forgetting the terms for them. Now, natural what are the, and adapted. Yeah, natural it. and adapted. Yep. Yeah. And I love that because, again, it's it's you use the term there. And I love the fact that this term is getting used more often, especially in leadership is is spectrum. Right. Because all of this exists on a spectrum in, in just about every organization. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it shows up in our culture. It shows up in who we hire. Um, it can show up in our meetings and our conversations where some folks, you know, this is, this is a little bit of that Myers Briggs piece, but it really is more about how, um, how outgoing or reserved we are. And that can show up in our meetings. That can show up in our teams and can be really helpful to know and to be aware if we show up as somebody is extremely extroverted, gregarious, likely to maybe talk too much when we're overexcited, if, when we forget to self-manage. Yeah. Um, but there are others around us who are on the opposite end of the spectrum. And, you know, for them, we want to have a more reflective approach. We want to spend more time thinking than talking and um, may even want more time to go away and, and process a conversation or an idea before we get to something like a decision or a conversation. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And that is, uh, again, so valuable. Um, are, are you familiar with uh, a lady named uh, uh, Tally Sherratt? Uh, she wrote a book called The Optimism Bias. I've heard about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, and she speaks a lot to this. And, and like the short version of it is, is, you know, most of us, uh, you know, obviously some folks with with some uh, it, some mental health issues like, such as anxiety, depression, maybe not so much. But the vast majority of folks have this you know built in optimism bias where we always think that that, that we're a little better off than we are or that we're doing a better job than we really are or 
Uh, one of the examples she uses is, you know, here in the U.S., she she talks about uh, Congress, right? She's like, how is it that Congress can uh, routinely have, you know, low double digits to single digits approval ratings, yet so many incumbents get voted back in again? Because optim- optimism bias kicks in and says, my guy's doing great. Your person is the one that needs voted out. It's your fault. We're doing our job. And it wreaks havoc on us not having this this self-awareness to 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 be able to have confidence and to be able to go out there and and feel confident, but not have a true snapshot of, of where we are because we're overly optimistic. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's that um the conscious awareness and the and the stuff that lives in the subconscious, right? Like we we don't want to spend a lot of time there. Um, yeah. Does she have suggestions on how we avoid it? Are there tips in there? Now I'm real curious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, now that I think about it, I've read the book. It's been a while since I've read the book. Uh, I don't know that there are any necessary tips in there. She was more about raising awareness. I, you know, now you got me wanting to go back and read the book. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> All right, it's our homework. That's our homework. Go. But, but, you know, from what I do remember, a lot of it was just what we're talking about here, raising awareness, talking about how, understanding how the brain works, talking about neuroplasticity and, and how, how we have to be intentional about understanding ourselves. So I don't remember calling out any tools specifically, but a lot of kind of what we're talking about here was, was in there. Um, yeah, that so. self-awareness piece here, even mindfulness. I don't know. Sometimes for folks, that's a dirty word. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. You'll have to tell me. Yeah, go um, for it. But- but mindfulness shows up here too, right? Are we slowing down enough? And and I don't necessarily mean like, you know, putting your booty on a meditation pillow, but really like practicing, being aware, that idea of paying attention. And can we start even just paying attention to um, some of our own bias in that way? Are we, are we being, you know, I hope I get to do this with my clients. I think many of them would say that I do, that I get to be this gentle reflection and do we have the time for that kind of gentle reflection for ourselves? And do we have the people around us, the support system, the coaches, the mentors, the leaders who are giving us that, that gentle reflection? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I've had a few different mindfulness and, and spirituality folks on here. I'm a huge fan. I mean, you know, it's, it's always go back. You, you hit the nail on the head. Like for some people it's a dirty word, but what I always find kind of funny is, is sometimes it's those same people who, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about embracing like a, you know, uh, Viking culture or Spartan culture or, or, you know, samurai culture. Well, this is what all those cultures did. That was what helped them achieve the success that, that they achieved. And that's why we glorify some of those ancient uh, warrior type cultures is because they, ha- they practice mindfulness. They practice being present in the moment. And, I don't understand why I'm, I'm with you. I don't understand why people are kind of uh, standoffish when you start talking about mindfulness and spirituality in the workplace. Yeah. It's this idea, you know, the, even as you're talking about those cultures, I'm thinking about the word that comes to my mind is mastery. Yeah. Like this mastery of self, right. And um, mastery of breath awareness, right. All those things that we need regulation, self-management, particularly as leaders, these are such, incredible tools and assets, compassion, right? Like uh, non-attachment, like all, all of these things that are um, these incredible assets for us as leaders. And yeah, you're right. There's just, there's resistance um, to them, right? Our, our culture definitely here in the U.S. is um, 
resistant to that idea of slowing down. Um, and, and we just, we just keep moving. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so weird because we've got so many people that we, that we do look up to. Like one of my favorite stories, uh, that, that, uh, secretary, uh, Colin Powell, uh, told in, in, in his book was, um, he, he shares a story when he was a, a young Lieutenant, uh, he's in the officer's club and he sees a general at the bar. He's like, I've got all the confidence only a young lieutenant can have. I go up to the general and I ask him, uh, you know, sir, how do I become a general? And the general looks at him and uh, sees how young he is. And he looks at him and he says, oh, it's, it's pretty easy. He goes, you, you shine your shoes better than everybody else. You press your uniform, everybody else. You, you learn your leadership traits better than everybody else. And you're well on your way. And he goes, that's all I've got to do to become a general? And the general laughs at him and goes, no, I said you're on your way. He said, that's how you become go from being a lieutenant to a captain. Once you be, get promoted to captain, you got to start that process all over again. And, and I loved it because it was like every step of evolution, you can never really say, hey, I made, I made my promotion. I'm good. You have to continually be mindful of who you are, where you're at, and what you need to do to take those next steps. Yeah. I'm, you know, honored enough to be, um, a part of a, a coaching, um, bench where I'm working inside of a larger organization. And one of the things that we're doing with this organization is helping them build these long-term leadership development programs. And it's been so interesting to walk alongside a, a company who's so committed to development, who's got incredible, um, already an incredible culture built and, in addition to they're building in these programs for their senior leaders and, and to, to be alongside them and to all of the, the coaches and consultants in this process are all reminding each other at different moments about this journey. And it's about obviously the first, the first part and where, you know, where we come in as coaches and consultants and teach and do training and development. And that's really like, you know, step zero in a way, <laughs> because then you have all the work of, of the development and of the implementation and of making that the plans essentially that we're building now with this information that says, this is where I am today. These are the areas where I have strength. These are the areas I want to grow in. And then it's, you know, it's six months, it's 12 months, it's 18 months down the road where that becomes a part of your skill set, your every day of the behavior that, you know, that becomes your natural. Yeah. No, and again, that is such an important piece there too that you just uh, touched on, and and one that reading your biography and and uh, the work that you've done has made me extremely happy uh, is that a lot of these you know uh, a lot more startups are taking leadership serious from day one. Uh, you know, in the Marines, that was the one thing that that really you know, like day one of boot camp, they started pounding leadership development, leadership principles, uh, leadership traits. Like that was the first piece of information that they started getting into our heads. And, you know, we built on it. And I, I, I like the fact that, that more startups are reaching out to folks like you and I uh, to invest from day one instead of waiting uh, until it's too late. I, I, talk about a piece of research on here uh, ever so often that um, I want to say it was Pew did back in 2012 and they did this global survey um, and I want to say there was something like 12,000 uh, respondents across the globe across all industries 
And they asked a bunch of questions, but the two that, that I remember that they keyed in on was, uh, what is the average age uh, that you were promoted into your first management or leadership role? And what was the age that you got your first formal management or leadership development training? And the, the answer to the first one was somewhere in the early 30s. And the answer to the second one was somewhere in the early 40s. So there was like this 10 to 12 year gap of being promoted and expected to lead people before you got training on how to lead people. And, and that, that's a disaster waiting to happen, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. I mean, what's what's a tiny bit heartbreaking about that, too, is that I have been there. Right. That's why, that's why I do what I do. Um, because, you know, I, the earliest parts of my career, I was in the agency space working in marketing and, and working on what was new in marketing. So in agencies that were developing and cutting edge and, you know, where we were so focused on, um, our discipline that leadership was secondary. And then in startup organizations, we're focused on the growth of the org, not necessarily the growth of the people. And, um, so, so yes, I, I fully agree with you. And I've been there. And, you know, even in the work that I do these days when I'm working with folks in larger organizations, this is such a common, common experience for folks where we're put in leadership roles. We are given guidance, not, not training. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, all the statistics that I read, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing is that these are the folks who are the most stressed in our orgs because they're put in positions that are, um, beyond their skill set and, and not given the resources they need. And I'm grateful for, uh, the folks who are out there as well, providing the education at this level and, and so grateful, um, that I am seeing orgs bring in this kind of middle, <laughs> mid-level training experience for these folks, because this is also where we see something that I know is important to you is important to me as well. This mental health experience where it's not just stress, but we're talking like, anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome, like pieces, pieces of our work really coming home with us, um, in a, in a, in a very meaningful, um, and potentially, you know, harmful way. Yes. No, you, you are a hundred percent right there, especially with the mental health. And, um, you know, you, you use two words there that I'm glad that, that you brought up because I was hoping to, to get our conversation there because I think it is an extremely important topic for, for everybody to be aware of. And, and that is an imposter syndrome. So uh, do me a favor and, and just kind of share with listeners when you're talking about imposter syndrome, what do you mean by those words? Yeah, so it's it's a it's oversimplified, I think, in the workplace. I'll start by saying that. And um, for for some folks, I think they look at it as a, a kind of chronic um, internal narrative about um, not being good enough or being, I think some of the common syndrome, you know, what folks would say are there is their experiences that they have kind of chronic feelings of not being good enough or thoughts of not being good enough or some chronic thinking around being found out um, for not being good enough, which really then drives behavior around overfunctioning, overworking, perfectionism, that type of thing. And again, this is a generalization, right? I, I, that's that's my understanding. Is that what you hear? Is that kind of the, the working definition that you understand? 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and and I think the and I'm curious to hear your experience of this. I think the the kind of insidious piece about it is is yes, yeah, some of that that thought is is self inflicted wounds, right? But a lot of it is it, it's how people are being made to feel uh, in the workplace, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So if we don't fit the mold, that's a problem with us not a problem with the environment. And this is, this is where I think the conversation gets slippery. Um, and, and it, it's one that I am interested in having and also feel like there, there's just so much research coming out now that I don't know if I'm equipped, quite honestly, you know, I'll be transparent with you and authentic and say, there's so much about this that I don't know that I'm ready to, to say I have a perspective on. I'm still learning as we go about how, the culture of, of teams um, and organizations really impacts what we tell other folks is their imposter syndrome versus us creating environments where folks are not set up to succeed. Yeah. Well, no. And, and again, thank you for, you know, kind of being open and honest. And I agree with you. I'm, I'm there too, but I think, uh, I think that that's kind of the tricky piece here. Kind of the slippery piece, as you, as you mentioned is, I don't think we're ever going to be in a position where we fully understand it just to just due to the complexity of of who humans are and how complex workplaces are and how many different pieces we have moving in our organizations like, you know, and I'm I I would guess that you probably get hit with this a lot, too, but I, I get coaching people. I get frustrated. Like, I just want you to tell me do this. And then this is going to be the results. And I'm like, I can't tell you that, you know, because these things are too complex. Every solution is going to be different based off of who's involved, what the issue is, what time of day it is. It's up to you to take the time to be self-aware, know your people well enough to be able to to adjust advice accordingly. Because if I tell you do this and this is going to happen, you doing that could actually make things worse. And, and that's the same thing with this, like imposter syndrome. And, and I agree with you 100%. Everybody feels it for different reasons. Uh, I've seen some of the most confident people in the world uh, that never had a, doubt, a, a piece of doubt. And if they did, they never let it show. And it's been mostly women show up to a job, fresh-eyed, ready to change the world. They go to their first meeting and... Somebody does something like, hey, uh, are you going to take the coffee order? And then all of a sudden their confidence is shattered because I'm just here to take coffee orders. We, we don't yeah. understand how that environment created that imposter syndrome in this person that never had that feeling before. Right. And that's that circumstantial, right? That's that circumstantial one where, oof, yeah, it just hurts my heart even when you say that um, because you're right. And I've seen it, too. Uh, um and, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that, that, that these seeds of doubt can be planted um, behaviorally, culturally in an org and, and really can um, derail what, what could be this, you know, truly impactful leader and, and what, you know, who was doing, you know, maybe their best work in another role in another company. Yeah. 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 Oh. It's it is, and and again, this listeners, this is why the stuff that Jen talks about here is these assessments, the self awareness, and some of the things we haven't talked about here that we're getting ready to get into. This is why these things are so important because the last thing you want to do 
as the leader of an organization is kneecap yourself by not treating your people well, by not taking these things into consideration, by creating these environments where people uh, do feel like they don't belong, right? That's the whole uh, Dr. Brene Brown and her talking about, uh, you know, belongingness. And, and I love how blunt she is when she says, people give a damn that you give a damn. And it's not touchy-feely stuff. This is stuff that successful teams get right, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll geek out just for a second here on one of the tools that I just touched on earlier, which is that leadership circle profile. I think what's so incredible about leadership circle profile, and I've seen this be so impactful for clients, is that we do a 360 and they're able to see others uh, view of them, right? Like they're these, these ratings and nine times out of 10, mostly 10 out of 10 times, folks are so much harder on themselves than their assessors. Right. And, and so they're giving themselves, you know, call it a seven out of 10 and others are giving them, you know, relations, you know, relating skills that are nine out of 10. Right. And, and so, you know, the way that, you know, I hear the optimism bias in that. And, and in, in this case, I think what I see again and again in the data is that folks are not giving themselves enough credit. And when we have, we have the opportunity then to give ourselves you know, the more critical feedback or those areas that we can improve, um, folks are even harder on themselves. And so the, this tool in particular, because it gives us data to point back to, has been really helpful for folks around imposter syndrome because we can go back and point to the numbers, right? I hear the narrative happening for these folks and I can drive them back to, well, do you remember the 30% that other folks gave you in this area, which in this case is a good score, a great, you know, a great score. And you rated yourself at a 70, <laughs> you know, which is, which is not necessarily a positive score. And, and so this is, this is why I find some of these tools so helpful is it gives us something a little bit more objective than just the, the tape or that narrative or mindset that's playing in our head. Yeah, no, a hundred, a hundred percent there. Um, you know, you talk about, Another important factor here, I believe, and, and you use the words non-negotiables. Uh, what, what, what are non-negotiables and why are they so important? This is something that I have borrowed from the work of Kim Scott and Radical Candor um, and initially discovered through her, but you know, didn't have the language for myself. And it set up such an aha for me in, in practices that I both use in my own life and help clients understand for themselves, which is where, where are our boundaries? <laughs> and what does that look like to get the, the best out of me. I think that's that self-awareness piece, but even at a, at a larger level, you know, Kim Scott describes this as, you know, the things that she must have in her, in her life are dinner with her family and breakfast with her family, you know, X number of times per week. She needs uh, quarterly time away with um, her partner for a romantic trip. Um, she needs a, um, once or twice a year vacation with her larger family, right. To bring those folks together. And without those things, um, she's not her best. And you know, give, she gives some, a lot of great examples too about in times of stress, like the, there are leaders who may need a workout every day. Some leaders are going to need a, a workout in the morning and at night to really manage 
themselves and to manage uh, the work of being a leader uh, the best that they can. And so this is that idea of knowing ourselves well enough to know our non-negotiables. Um, you know, my personal, some of my personal non-negotiables are time alone in the morning to do the, the things that set me up for success. I see a lot of clients with the same way of carving out. I'm not going to get on my phone for the first 90 minutes of the day. Um, for others, it's, it's, you know, it's a walk or it's, a weekly bike ride that they go on to clear their heads and things like that. So those, those are some examples of non-negotiables. Yeah. And and again, those are so important and so valuable. And um, how, how much success have you had getting people to, to really kind of a establish those, but B, like own those as part of say a negotiation process when you're you're uh in the process of accepting a new job yeah so for some folks this is non-negotiables like i am only going to work in environments that have commitments to dei right that's part of their non-negotiable and that's that you know they're they're only interviewing in those places for some it's understanding and, and making it a requirement that companies have um, not just flexible schedules, but, you know, really kind of um, non-punishment for parents, right? Where we have yeah. um, the ability to be where we need to be when we need to be there and still the opportunity to do our work when it's required, right? And, or, and do our work where it's required. Right. And so, you know, for some that shows up in that process, it shows up, you know, really in the process of interviewing your potential employer, yeah. And that's exactly, yeah. So I, I like to hear that because that's exactly where um, I was hoping to hear uh, is that, that people were bringing that up because, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been coaching people and, and, and tried to get them to, to understand, you know, what those break points are. And when it comes time to, to have that conversation uh, about negotiating salary and negotiating benefits, even if it is, you know, tell, uh, right now we're going into, you know, reintegration. People are starting to get back into workplaces and telework and and remote work has been a huge piece of that. And and that's the time to really have that conversation because, man, folks, I, I, I got to tell you, it sometimes passing up on the job that violates your non-negotiables is the best choice you can make, isn't it? Oh, I mean, Let's, this is that like cost benefit analysis yeah. where is the cost your mental health? Is the cost well being? Is the cost your family? Cause there's, there's a cost, right? Is the cost the two hours that you're, that you're spending unnecessarily in your commute? Like those are, those are real conversations I have very regularly with clients. Um, and, and truly understanding what is the cost? What is, is it, is it three hours of your day? Is it, is it, not getting to do, you know, your preferred hobby at lunchtime. Well, like really, truly the things that, that help folks do their best, be their best, feel their best. Um, and, and what are they truly willing to sacrifice? 
Um, yeah, and then again, I think this is where that imposter syndrome and all of this stuff kind of ties in beautifully with our conversation is because, um, you know, again, and I'm not sure what your experiences are, but I see a lot of that imposter syndrome kicking in when we're talking about this because, you know, that thought process is, you know, who am I to ask these things? They're the employer. They're the ones holding the job. Uh, what it, what right do I have to say, hey, these are my non-negotiables? And, you know, my response is usually it's your life. You're the one that has to show up every day. You're the one that has to be happy or miserable in your life. And these non-negotiables, if they are truly non-negotiables, uh, they're the things that are going to make or break the happiness level of your life in the job. And by association, how happy you are in the job, how happy or miserable you make your coworkers, how happy or miserable you make your family at home. And so these things are immensely important. You have every right to ask these questions and ask for these things that you have identified as non-negotiables. And if the employer can't meet them, that doesn't necessarily make them a bad employer. That just makes them not the right employer for you. You have to find the thing, the, the entity that fits your non-negotiables or, as we've talked with a lot of startups, start up your own business, right? Yeah. You know, this going back to, you, know, you mentioned Brene Brown earlier, she has this great um, statistic from her research that the folks, the folks that who she finds are what she calls the most wholehearted, right? The experiencing the the joy, the peace, right? Those those things that I think so many of fulfillment, these pieces that we're all looking for, Um many of us are looking for, I'll, I'll include myself in that, right? Yeah. Always a practice. And what she says about them, the commonality about them is that they are the most boundaried folks. These are the folks who have the clearest boundaries about where where they stop and another starts, right? And so that clarity about boundaries, is it's our work. I mean, it takes us all the way back to the beginning of this call that says, Knowing ourselves, knowing who we are, knowing these pieces, these non-negotiables is the work of a responsible leader. We have to know where we stop and start and where someone else um, does the same to, to be kind, to be respectful, to be compassionate, to give others that same respect, right? And that is such an important part of being a leader. Yeah. No, and I'm glad you, you keyed on that because it didn't hit me until you were saying that, but you're, you're right. And it's, it's something I've, I've talked about before and I don't know why it didn't click until just then, but, uh, many years ago, I don't even remember who it was now. Uh, but they made that point about goal setting. It says, you know, a lot of people look at goals as telling you, uh, what to do and where to go. They, they said, I look at goals as telling me where I shouldn't go and what I shouldn't do you know, setting up those boundaries. If, if this isn't going to help me get to my goal, I don't do this thing. It helps me understand what these non-negotiables, they weren't using the term at the time, but it, it kind of fits in here now, that what these non-negotiables are. They're not moving me towards happiness, whatever my goals are. You know, and, and again, I think that's the other piece that, that we're seeing more people kind of really embrace and have that conversation around is what is happiness? You know, it's not always the bigger house. It's not always the bigger bank account. It's not always the higher paycheck or the corner office. For some people, happiness is being able to work from home. Nothing else. Just I want to be able to work from home. And and I'm really happy that I think that's the key piece of this great resignation that everybody's uh, uh, kind of all up in arms about is 
I'm happy because I see a lot more people really owning their happiness and what those non-negotiables are. Do, do you agree? See it a different way? No, totally agree. I really agree. And, and it is a res- there's a respect for ourselves. There's a respect for our families. There's a respect for our pleasure, right? And um, it's counter to a, a culture of exhaustion, a culture of, of um, you know, burnout. <laughs> and so in that way, um, I am seeing that and, and yeah, grateful for it in the same way I think you are. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned the, you know, the burnout piece and, and all that, because I think that's really, for, for me, that's what I'm seeing is, is, you know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, people don't want to work. People are lazy, free money, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's true. I mean, I, I think a lot of the numbers that we're seeing uh, during the pandemic really shows that most people worked more hours and, and harder working from home than they did being in the office. So we can take that off the plate, but I think it's really a lot of folks are just saying, I, they've established their non-negotiables, whether they know that's what they did or not. And they're saying, this is no longer the environment I want to return to work in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I valued here? That question, right? That's what, that's what comes to my mind. Am I valued here? Do I feel valued here? Yeah. Such a big, I think that's such a big question that folks are bringing to even to their employers, right? Talking with with clients of mine who um, they are experiencing these um, like talent and and like L and D folks. Um, this is something that's really on their minds because are we are we walking our talk? Are we delivering on the things that that we are asking to be held accountable for, you know, folks are asking us to be accountable for. And I think it's a really big part of conversations in folks who are in organizations that are committed to keeping talent and, and how they're going to do that. They're really asking themselves that question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, this has been a a great conversation. We're coming up on uh, right around 40 minutes or so. And uh, listeners, um, (laughs) You know, I think I'm going to be able to clean all this up in post-production, but we both had uh, issues with, with uh, lawn crews deciding that they want to start working right while we're trying to have this great conversation. But um, is there anything through the course of this that we that we didn't get a chance to discuss yet that you'd like to leave listeners with before we do close out? Start small. I think that would be like the one piece of self-awareness that, that, that you know, we don't have to wake up tomorrow and do it all different. It can start in really small behavioral change, um, awareness in a, in a conversation with a, with a person who's across from you. It could start with, you know, I have some folks kind of sit on their hands for the first 10 seconds of a meeting and let somebody else talk first, right? It can be really small. And so if, if becoming a, a, a more conscious or aware leader, um, responsible leader is a part of your journey, then it can be a really small step that, that starts uh, the intention that creates change. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that because uh, that is solid advice, folks. I mean, I want you to kind of hit the rewind button on your podcast player there a couple of times and listen to that again, because I think that is the biggest hurdle for most people to change is this idea that it has to be huge, earth-shaking, monumental change, but it doesn't. What Jen just said is so valuable. Start small. Get that ball rolling and let that momentum build. 
That is that is brilliant advice, Jen. Thank you for that. Thanks. Uh, so, listeners, I know you're convinced uh, that that you need to know more about Jen. You need to find out more about her and what she does, and you know maybe bring her in to to work with you uh, or in your organization. Uh, what are some ways that that listeners can find out more about you, Jen? Yeah, so um, you can find me at heyjenhope.com, H-E-Y-J-E-N-H-O-P-E.com. And there you can set up a discovery call to learn more about the work I do and give us an opportunity to, to see if there might be an opportunity to work together. Um, you can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn, and I'd love to connect with folks there as well. Yeah, and and I'll get those links in there. But again, I love uh, the the I can tell that you had a background in, in marketing uh, just by the fact that all of your materials, uh, you know, there's there's congruency. Everything is hey, Jen Hope. That's uh, it. That's, <laughs> that's it. I know. If there's one thing, we're going to do brand right, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, again, Jen, thank you very much for being with me and my listeners for this uh, this past 45 minutes or so here. It has been great conversation. I've learned a lot. I know my listeners have learned a lot. And uh, I just really appreciate you taking the time and having this conversation with me and my listeners on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. It has been an honor. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so glad to have spent this time with you. Thank you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monicelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Electric Acid.